0: Nothing warms the heart like getting beat to death by your dead son, you know?
1: Spooky season greetings and salutations and welcome to Hacker Slash. If you're joining us again, welcome back. Whatever you do, whatever you hear, don't look away. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the party. We are a horror movie review podcast dedicated to telling you whether a movie is a hack,
0: a total joke,
2: a waste of time,
1: or a slash,
2: totally killer, pun intended,
1: We believe horror is for everyone, and as such, we're rating these movies with the perspective we've gained from our varying walks of life and the flavors of fear we fancy most. My name is Chris, I'm your friendly neighborhood slasher enthusiast. This week, I'm joined by the super fly space guy, Mac.
2: You send that thing back to hell.
1: The classic horror connoisseur, Sean.
0: Can you just please put a little pressure here?
1: And the paranormal paramour, Binks. Looks like we share the latest fashion. This week, we're back in the theaters to check out the latest addition to the Conjuring Universe. Before we say our prayers, though, we have some follow-up.
2: Let's follow up on a season. Actually, we're going to follow up on our new blood drive. It's going well, and we're really excited to see how many people have joined us during the drive. So for all of September and October, you get more episodes and the free sides. But many of you have joined. We really appreciate it. Let's talk about our new members of the family here. We've got Robbie, Jen, Melissa, Taffy, Samantha, and Sarah, all new patrons, one, thank you very much, two, welcome, and three, all the chairs are full, but there's a really comfortable couch at the back of the room. Super comfy couch. So just to remind everyone else, every new member, if you 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 sign up for our premium tier between the 1st of September and October 31st, and you stick around, you'll get your very own special print.
3: And it looks amazing.
1: Oh gosh, yeah, it looks so good. And I am so excited for everyone to finally see it. As we're recording this episode, we're about halfway through, so we're like now in the phase where we're just adding some color, and the announcement's coming soon. Also, shout out to all of our new members who are just like chilling with us, being terrorized by our B-Sides conversation in the live chat right now.
2: (laughs) It just gives you a little peek into our insanity, which is, I think it's a lot of fun. And that's our follow-up.
1: Last month, we delved into a film that expanded the Conjuring universe and told the story of a malevolent entity that was preying on an abbey. This week, we're back to see how the horrors continue to unfold in its newly released sequel. This week's film picks up four years after its predecessor, and after a priest's life is inexplicably extinguished, we follow Sister Irene as she once again confronts a demon that's taken on a blasphemous form. Get ready, folks, because this movie takes us on a ride that explores the relentless battle between good and evil, where the lines are blurred, the stakes are eternal, and it becomes difficult to distinguish between the damned and the divine. This week, we're talking about The Nun 2, What were you all expecting going into this one?
0: Here's the thing. I've seen most of the films within the Conjuring universe, minus maybe one or two of the Annabelle films, I think. We are pretty also like knee deep in this universe on the podcast as well at this point. There are films I really enjoy in this universe. There are some that I don't like as much. I I did see the trailer for this film a few times, I believe, as we watched some of the recent new releases for the podcast. And, And based on that, I was actually expecting this one to be pretty good. Like I thought that we got like what we got in the trailer looked kind of promising. It looked like there was going to be some really good frightening moments, but it could also suffer that fate of the good shots from the trailer being the only good moments we get from the film. So we'll see. I was pretty hopeful going into this one. It looked like it was going to deliver some great moments, but outside of that, just mainly hopeful, I would say.
3: Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I tried to just keep it at the teaser trailer. I didn't end up actually watching the full trailer just so that I, you know, had some element of mystery going into this film. And to be honest with you, the bar was so low when it comes to the first movie that I figured, you know, to top it would be relatively easy, at least for me. But regardless, even based on the teaser trailer, it looked promising. And I was just curious to see how they were going to continue the story when you consider not only the ending of the first movie, but really the end credit scene of the first movie as well.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big Conjuring Universe fan, specifically the Conjuring movies themselves. I mean, I haven't seen very many. So before I watched this movie, I, I told Chris, I, I watched Conjuring 2 and then The Nun, and then I went and saw this movie in theater. So my expectations were kind of all over the place because I think like the the Conjuring 2 and The Nun are are kind of similar, but the trailer for this movie looked different and part of that's probably time, but I think that the tone definitely seemed like it was gonna be a different film. And also since I feel like from those movies until, None to. There's been some other stuff, and so they've had time to to kind of workshop some stuff and really change things, and you know, go for a more 2023 kind of a kind of a film. So I was really expecting it to feel more like other blockbuster movies, where we got a little genre crossover here because we're trying to appeal to to the masses and not necessarily just to the folks who perhaps are diehard fans of of this entire cinematic universe.
1: Yeah, I mean, hey, I'm kind of a newcomer to all of this, right? I saw the original Conjuring back when it came out. Up until this year, it had been the only Conjuring film that I had seen aside from, like, Annabelle Creation and then The Curse of La Llorona, which is, like, apparently no longer part of the Conjuring universe. The connections that I have here are pretty thin, I would say. I did enjoy the first Nun movie, though, more than I expected to. So going into this one, I didn't really carry much anticipation for it to be better. I think it was one of those where I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go in, I'm going to vibe with it, because maybe it's the case where The Nun was almost like a fluke. You know what I mean? I think I enjoyed it more than I would typically enjoy that style of movie. So I went into this, though, also thinking about the logistics. Pink, you mentioned how that movie ends. You also mentioned uh, some ties to other movies in in the Conjuring universe. So as I'm doing the math in my head, I'm like, there's only one way for this movie to go. And if they do go this way and somehow don't add up with all of that, then it's going to be a rocky road. And I will say that watching this movie, I felt some pretty pleasant things. I think it's fucking gorgeous. Like there's some exorcist-esque moments in this movie in terms of its lighting. We love a good street lamp with a little bit of mist in the evening. And then there are other moments that really prey on your emotions. Not anything that I think is going to make you have a super strong reaction, but just enough to make you think like, damn, that's intense. And then there's also this other a part of me that it felt like this shit feels kind of long.
0: Mm, that's it right there for me. Like, this to me felt like a very slow movie all the way into the third act. It, it was really, it was just really slow to build up the story and, and get to the action. And I found myself actually being a little bit bored at times while watching this one. I agree, atmosphere wise, and the scenery and the lighting and all the set design, super cool. But the delivery of the story and how it progressed and the pacing just felt a little bit slow for me. It was also and this this may make more sense in the spoiler zone, but it was also giving like national treasure meets Jeepers Creepers.
2: I had that same thought. Uh, I can't yeah. wait to break it down later, but the, the national treasure vibes were there.
1: I'm sorry. That is such an oddly specific thought to have, but it is accurate.
2: There's surprisingly a large number of movies that I thought about while watching this movie. And when I saw the trailer and saw that it was really like this movie is designed to be more of a blockbuster. It's, it's made to be watched in theaters by the masses. I'm thinking like they're, they're going to kind of pull back a little bit from just being a straight up horror genre, right? So when watching this... what I experienced was that, like we cross over into fantasy at moments. It felt like we were in a superhero movie. There's just like an action movie in a lot of parts. That whole national treasure. Um, what's gosh, what's the the Da Vinci code? Like all sorts of stuff Mm, is, is going on in this movie, but I think you had it right with the visuals. I think. They did change a lot from The Nun. And I need to maybe watch the other films in the franchise that lead up to this to see if they've kind of been heading that way anyway. But it was, it was like a big jump to watch them all in one day. It felt such, it was just like a much bigger scale. When you watch The Nun, that's a big jump from The Conjuring 2 for sure. The Conjuring 2 was like really, like really low key. I mean, yeah, like we travel a little bit, but that's for a moment. And then we're basically within one or two spots. When you make it to the nun, you're like, all right, grander, we're getting there. And this movie was like, yo, the globe is our playground. We're just, we're going to go all over the place. We're going to have all sorts of different sets that we're going to work with. There's there's a lot going on. It's not necessarily a bad thing either, right? Because they made use of it. Like you mentioned, there's some shots where we have that mist and we have the darkness and we have a, a long street, but there's also shots where we're in an enclosed space. And so I, I think they really gave us like a variety of that stuff. I don't know that I was necessarily bored by it, but I didn't really feel like I was watching a horror movie for many parts of it. There's other parts where, you're like, okay, absolutely, this is a this is a horror movie. It's set in the Conjuring universe. I have that feeling. But I think during a lot of it, I was kind of like, this is such a different movie that I can see how somebody who's like not a fan of horror, not a fan of the Conjuring, could like sit down and and watch this movie and and get into it as long as they found it interesting enough to not like you know lose their attention over that 2 hours plus while they were doing it.
3: And and the more specifically for me it's that I could take this movie far more seriously in a way than the first one and I think it's far more effective in what it's trying to do even in like the bits of humor or the tension all these other things versus the first one. So I completely agree with you. I would say that even if you were trying to get into this universe just seeing this movie siloed could work. And something I was thinking about, as far as my viewing experience and how I was feeling, you know, I I found some parts definitely fun. And Akilah Cooper is the story writer for this film. And what has she written, right? Megan, that was a lot of fun. Well, I was gonna say malignant. I found that one fun. I know what people feel differently about it, but whatever. I think it's hilarious. You know, like uh, Hellfest, we just reviewed that recently, right? Like all of these films that are just fun. That's what I gravitated towards this. And it was effective in that. If if that was the case for the for the first movie, it didn't land with me. It did in this one, and even with Valik herself, I think the decisions that were made that changed from the first to the second with Valak solid. Michael Chavez decided to like take some things that were like a little too campy and too like, what the hell is this, you know, and make Valak seem more intimidating and more like frightening. And that's what I got from watching all of this. Granted towards the end of the movie, I definitely had some gripes and I can see how the pacing and things like that. Eventually I was like, what's happening here? Like, let's, let's pick up the pace just a smidge. But overall I was impressed But I will reiterate, the bar was already low.
1: All right, I I can respect that. I know that The Nun ended up being such a disappointment coming from the hype that you had built in yourself in terms of like meeting Valak for the first time in The Conjuring 2. I think that pendulum swing is an interesting thing to unpack. I think for me specifically, the biggest surprise that I have is how seamlessly they executed on expanding a story. Because a good sequel should... Be an extension. It shouldn't just be a reflection. It should be expanding. It should be an escalation of the story and perhaps changing the scale and the scope of it. Matt, kind of like what you were alluding to. But this is one that I find. You know, it, especially doing this in horror, it's so tricky because so often does it end up just like falling flat or just being a little shitty. This one, though, felt like a natural progression, which is really, really, really exciting. One thing that I struggled with, though, and this is a bit of the word the disappointment comes in for me, not so much the pacing of the movie. Like, yes, it did feel long, not enough to make me feel bored, but just a little bit like, mm, OK, we're getting there. But the timing of this movie doesn't make a ton of sense to me. There are moments where... It becomes unclear, for me at least, how much time is passing throughout the movie itself. And then thinking about how it fits into other movies in the franchise, it's it's giving me more questions and it's giving me answers. And not in a good way, not in a way that I think it creates more intrigue and wanting to watch the rest of the franchise, but more so like, I feel like you didn't consult the own Bible of your own chronology here.
3: I am right there with you. That's my, that's my disappointment with this film. There are things that just don't make sense that don't add up. And to me, I almost feel like the story, like you're saying, and and the expanding of the universe. Yes, I'm all here for it. Like, let's look at this from a bigger scale. Things are making even more sense. So many movies down the line, right? But come on, why, why did you do this in this order to make it more complicated? You didn't even consult your own lore. I could have told you this, like some things I think would have been better fit if they were switched around. Some things would have made more sense if they were omitted or at the very least you wait until you put that part into like the second film or whatever, right? There are certain things I can't wait for us to kind of like actually say in the spoiler zone that to me as a big fan, just don't add up. And I feel like what they were trying to do to set up the next film, because we, you know, this is a franchise here. This is not a spoiler, you know, right? Like that's always going to be the gag, and it was just kind of giving like a cheap version of the Avengers. My friend literally called it like a Nick Fury Avengers moment at the end of a movie, like you know. And it was like, what is happening? This is what what this this was shitty. Like you know, like this is cheap.
2: Gosh, it screamed Marvel Cinematic Universe. It the the ab uh, in many ways in many ways while watching this. And I think it was accentuated for me because I did watch three movies in a row, you know, when when watching this. I didn't just watch this and the last time I saw The Nun was two years before, but I watched Conjuring 2 and then The Nun and then this movie and it was like going on a Marvel bench. (laughs) Like, absolutely. And I think that's the thing that kind of surprised me when I was watching this. And I don't know how I feel yet. It was a surprise. I wasn't expecting it. But there was so much action in this movie especially compared to The Conjuring 2. The Nun had a good bit. The Nun had some, some action going on. But I feel like this movie really upped the ante with the amount of action that it had. It would really cross over some genres. And I don't know how to feel about that. I don't know if that takes away from... The feel that, that these movies typically have. I need, you know, maybe if I watched the other conjuring universe movies, I would know if they kind of went in that direction already or not. But there's, there's a lot going on here. There's, there's those silent horror moments, but then there's like some really big bombastic scenes where, yeah, you, you could see Captain America like showing up in some of those scenes. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot.
0: Like I, I don't know why. But I was actually surprised at the connections that they made to the Conjuring films in this one. I don't know why I was surprised. I think it was not the worst surprise. It was kind of a nice surprise. I enjoyed that part of the story and how they tied it together. I will say, though, man, when we're talking about disappointments, as much as I liked the atmosphere, the set design, the lighting, that kind of vibe, I was pretty disappointed with most of the visual effects that we get in this film not the set design or any of that. I, I just, here's the thing. I don't know how we are in 2023, well on our way to 2024. And I feel like I've seen better special effects from movies 20 years ago. Wow. Wow. Bold,
2: very bold statement.
1: I can't wait to dissect which moments you're referring to specifically. Some of it does feel, I think within the movie itself, uh, inconsistent with what else we see in the movie. There's one moment that I'm thinking of in particular that I'm like, okay, all right. feels like I need a little bit of refinement here. But I think
3: a lot of the visuals hit for me in this movie. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I feel like lighting was great. Cinematography was stellar. Like,
0: Yeah, all of that's good. I'm talking about specific special effects. Yeah,
3: I don't think it was that, that bad, except for like one individual.
0: Is individuals multiple individuals
3: hmm interesting
1: interesting listen i'm not someone who gets scared by this shit, but let's set the mood it's spooky season it is september this movie just came out you got a lot of friends around you who want to go see a spooky movie they want to get a little scared they want to play with fire a little bit maybe you want to fuck around and watch the nun 2 on a sunday who knows I think this is a movie where if you were to take your friends out to go see a horror movie, this would scare the shit out of them. May not scare you as like a devout horror fan, but I think this has I think all the makings of those classic jump scare moments and a little bit of that sinister edge to really stick with some people.
0: It did. It did have a couple of decent jump scares, I think, throughout the movie. Like that, really, with the with the sound and everything, can make you react. I think that was, there was some effective moments. I think outside of a couple of those moments and some decent creepy scenes, there wasn't a whole lot here that really frightened me. I can see other people potentially for sure. Like the the vibe is there. I think there was an opportunity to create some really scary scenes, but I felt like I don't know some of it. Some of it just felt. I don't know. I guess I'm probably going to stand alone in this. I just felt like some of it just felt cheap in a way, and, and almost some of it felt campy in some parts, but not in a good way, because when it felt campy, it felt out of place. So that's just me.
3: Oh, yeah. We're definitely talking about the same thing, for sure. Right there with you on that one. However, everything else, I think, did a really good job of just Kind of setting the tone, like you were saying, Chris, I, th- in general, this movie is great for maybe like a younger-ish crowd and the right kind of movie to give them some scares. And even from my viewing experience, there are people in the theater, my friend and I included, that it wasn't so much like a, like a full-on scream or like a really big out of my seat moment, but definitely a few moments where I was like, Oh shit. You know what I mean? Or like just kind of caught off guard or like, oop you know? And I like those moments too. Those are still good. I think this is a good range of fright, I guess, for everyone. You know, if you're intimidated by Valak or or not, or if you love yourself some jump scares, or if you don't, I think there's a little bit of everything for everyone. And if you like some camp scares as well, there's definitely that.
2: I think I've narrowed it down to an analogy because we're really good at those here. But if you've seen The Exorcist, The Exorcist is a kind of movie, if you watch at the right time in your life, you're going to have a hard time looking at darkness for a good bit. And uh, then there's The Exorcist TV show and two very different feelings. And that's what this feels like to me is like the the materials, the material is not bad. It's It's good and stuff like the, you know, the original wasn't obviously scary to me, but like when you get to this level that they get to in this movie, it feels like the difference between The Exorcist and The Exorcist TV show. You can, you can tell that like, okay, I get that you're talking about demons. I get you're talking about possession and hauntings and whatever, but it just feels like a network TV show here. And I think where they, they went big and they went crazy and they went wild with it. And that removed so many moments of fear. I mean, not that I would have been scared of it, but I, I would like to see like a possession movie that makes me think twice about entering a dark room. I would love to have that effect that I don't think, I don't think I do. You know, I don't I don't think I've found another movie that, that really hits that way here. And this one has the opportunity to. It has those moments. It has it has a character, the the nun here that we're talking about, that could potentially, you know, you could use that in visuals to make you think twice before, you know, turning turning around and, and looking into a mirror when you're in a dark bathroom or something. But they just they don't hit it. They they're they're not there for me.
1: Yeah. I can't wait to see if in about a month your tune has changed about another exorcist movie, but we'll see. We'll see. Unlikely considering the grim realities that you're currently facing, you know, just existing in this country, in this economy. But I feel that, I mean, this, this is, there's something about this movie that doesn't exactly burrow its own identity in like in my soul. And that's not to detract from the quality of it, but I'll think even a lot of the scares that we get in this movie, we've seen in other places. You know what I mean? Like, this isn't unfamiliar. This is super rad and pretty cool for anyone who doesn't watch a whole lot of horror movies. But I think by the time you've watched a couple of The Conjuring movies, by the time that you've watched maybe half dozen just horror movies in general, you're going to fit right in with this one.
0: Yeah, I agree. There's not a lot here we haven't seen before, right? Like, I feel like everything, the events that take place, the way it unfolds, the the overall kind of formula we we've definitely seen it all before so from that standpoint it's hard to give this movie any originality points. I feel like where it may deserve some originality is just, you know, the actual meat in the story. I think that that the story itself, I'll give them originality points for coming up with and tying it together and those things. I'll give them that. The way it was delivered does not feel original. The story itself, I'll give some originality points. I think it it does deserve that.
3: Yeah. I feel like to be more specific, there's certain things about Catholicism that are explored that I always find fun because it's something that I know not like an expert, but I'm I mean I was raised with a lot of these things and these uh, you know saints and and lore that I would that I I know right and I have statues of them and stuff like that so I, I think that that kind of stuff when it comes to the nun in general is fun and and like kind of original because. It's always kind of like a a specific thing that you're just like, ooh, that's right. Or it is true, you know, and how they want, like how they use that into the story that I think is fun. Maybe not original, but it's just not common for me specifically. Like I'm talking deep cut stuff, right? But overall, the concept of miracles or like, you know, here we go again and that kind of stuff that's always in sequels and that's always just kind of the vibe. And it's like, you know, I, I get it and it's expected when we're talking about a villain here that is basically what people know the conjuring for. And and, and what's ironic is she's not even in the original conjuring movie. So there's that, but like people, I, I feel like when I talk about the conjuring, they automatically think of the nun. And I understand that to some extent you want to build her out and you want to build out this, this being this prolific villain in horror, right? Uh, but sometimes it just becomes like, ugh, oh, it's, it becomes a little cheap or it becomes like, oh, but you could have really done more with, again, Catholicism that is so rich in history and so lots of things. And sometimes they just kind of like cheapen it out with like, okay dialogue.
1: Man, I just loved listening to that and just thinking in my head, Pinks is out here like Sunday, fun day. Nothing says fun like Catholicism. And I think that is just absolutely darling.
3: Well, I mean, it's not that it's. I find it fun. It's that I know it well. You know what I'm saying? Like... I'm trying to like walk a fine line and not spoil it, but like saints are going to be discussed and I know saints. I don't know a lot of them, but I certainly know the one that they're talking about. So, and I know a couple others. So when that kind of stuff is brought up, it's something that I know very well. And sometimes they, or more than often than not, they do it very poorly or they kind of just will throw a patron saint out there. And that this is what they're saying of, and then just kind of make up things to make, sense of it so i think it's always fun to see what are they going to do with this element i just feel like even then it still gets fluffed up with like this concept of miracles and blah 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 just to make to excuse why we're back here at this one more time
1: yeah no i get that i mean watching this movie listen to a little bit of it i'm like oh wow i can finally apply the skills and knowledge that i gained in my catechism classes in middle school like finally there's use for this but I think that the biggest thing for me, though, is looking at this ending and thinking about some of the themes that even that you you mentioned, Binks, and how it all comes together in its ending. This is arguably an explosive ending. I wish I had gotten the full experience of the ending without a terrible theater experience to completely undermine it. But once I did some digging and figured out like, yes, okay, this is how it ends and the feeling that it's left with, I'm I'm struggling because I feel good about some resolution that we get. But I don't feel good about the history of a certain character. And and this is super fucking vague. But there is something that this movie does that really pisses me off in thinking about what we even saw in the last Nun movie. And thinking about the ending of that movie and what is revealed to us. So I just, I have some issues. Again, this is the chronology of things. I'm like, can y'all fucking examine your own lore and pick which, at which point these things take place? This is where I struggle. However, I think all in all, it's a fitting way to end the movie.
2: Okay. So I'm going to, I got to take it back a step to when, you know, Binks is talking about knowing a lot about Catholicism and things contained therein, because I think the people making this movie did not. Uh, it's fairly obvious to me that they did fluff up so much of it. And when we got, when we got to the ending here, it became even more painfully obvious that they were just like, cool. You guys remember like on Sunday school, like this one thing or something? Yeah. Let's just like, let's just like do that. But like in the movie or whatever, it just seemed so lazy. The ending almost seems like they had another ending and for whatever reason, like they couldn't do it and they just had to come up with a backup ending. And that's the one that they shipped. It was an upsetting ending. As you said, it was explosive. It was bombastic. It was crazy. It was a wild ending and I hated it. Like I just like truly hated the way that they determined they needed to get out of the crisis that they had set up. It was I'm sure it took a lot of work, but it but it almost feels lazy because it's just it's sloppy. It's a sloppy ending,
3: and it's cheesy. Honestly, it's cheesy, and the callbacks are so obvious. And like at the end of the day, I'm imagining what could have been once again. Right? I, I they had such a good. Well, maybe in my opinion, they had a, a good blueprint I think right because I, I guess in some ways it made sense I just once again wish I could have been in the room and been like hey maybe you should have put that in the first movie like switch this shit because it makes literally no sense there's one particular angle here that quite frankly it's almost borderline offensive to think that one thing is more powerful than the other in some ways or to basically like cheapen a tactic that they use just as someone you know who I I you know, is a Catholic, I guess. So I just, I think it's ridiculous. They definitely do not know a damn thing about the religion whatsoever. And I never expect them to, especially in these possession movies or whatever. I'm a paranormal freak and I I get it. I'm used to this stuff. But it would have been really cool if they just knew a little bit more or at the very least, like, made some more sense of how they were going to tie all this shit together. You had such a big picture and I can see it, but you really put this shit in wrong order.
0: Yeah, I I don't think it's a lot, to expect. I think if you're going to travel down the road of entering the realm of religion, a really well-known religion, you should probably do your homework. Right? I feel like that's just a fair thing to do. I don't know if I hated the ending but i definitely disliked the ending to this film hate hate is a really strong word because there's bits and pieces that i that i don't mind but i do feel like it felt a little lackluster to me i felt like after how slow the movie felt leading up to the final moments everything else about the ending just felt super rushed in a way we're all kind of you know walking that fine line. So without really diving into specifics, I just that's really all I can say is that it just felt really rushed and yes, there's some weird things with the reveal and some things that they do that don't make sense and we're going to talk about all that, but yeah, not not really into this ending at all.
1: You know, Sean's really out here like this movie was slow as hell. And for even as slow as it was, they still managed to rush the ending. And I think that's a wild thing to consider.
0: It just I literally leaned over to my wife at the end, was like, "Is that it?"
1: As it turns out, it was.
0: As it turns out, it was.
1: Yeah. Listen, when I watched this movie, and I mean, our our listeners will get to hear this in free sides. Actually, everybody will be able to hear this, the story of what happened to me with the ending of this movie, or a gang of children came in and were shining their flashlights in my eyes and this is like as the ending is happening like the big uh, connection to the lore the big explosion of everything all this shit right and so I thought you know I I think I generally still enjoy the ending on paper but perhaps I am in some way blinded by that flashlight still because it seems like all y'all fucking hated it and we'll see how that translates into its ratings but for now Sean how would you describe the gore score?
0: Well, there was an opportunity to squeeze more gore out of this film, but the problem is most of the kills we don't get to see happen, and we honestly see more wine than blood in this one, so it's getting a low gore score. It's
1: the same thing.
0: So they say. One tastes better, though.
3: (laughs) Yikes. And what about the animal report? Animals are safe in this film. However, I do want to give a trigger warning to those afraid of roaches. There are... A good amount of them.
1: Well, let's go ahead and get into our ratings then. The Nun 2 from 2023.
3: Was it a hack or a slash? You know, I said earlier plenty of times that the bar has been low for the first movie. So, you know, all that being said, there is still a chance that this movie could dig below ground and be worse. But luckily it didn't do that, at least not for me. I'm not a major fan of La Llorona, uh, and Michael Chavez did that one. I am actually a decent fan of the third Conjuring movie. He did that one. I think in this movie, he did a good job of bringing the nun back to the basics, back to pretty good territory that didn't make Valix seem silly, but back to intimidating enough. And I have all these issues with the plot, and I definitely think certain things were a little too much camp, or a little too, too silly, or better switched, obviously. But overall... I was able to take this movie more seriously, like I said, and I was able to have a lot more fun than the first. And I know this isn't a comparison or versus whatever, but I think it wasn't too, too bad overall. And that's why I'm giving it a slash.
0: You know, I I felt pretty hopeful going into this movie. I think that there were some good moments, but... They were few and far between for me. I enjoyed the overall story, but kind of wish they put as much effort into the, some of the visuals as they did with the story and connecting it to the Conjuring universe. There was, you know, there was great atmosphere. There was, you know, really some well done scenes. But overall, the movie was super slow for me. It was not well paced, allowing for me to almost lose interest on the way to the third act, which is never a good thing. And and here's the thing. I hear people saying that this was better than the first one. And I slashed the first film. I gave that film a slash but in my defense I will say that I rewatched The Nun for the podcast and we revisited that film prior to revisiting The Conjuring 2 and if you remember I thought that some of the things they did with The Nun or Valak in The Conjuring 2 was better than the way they did it in The Nun so maybe I'm going to have to take back the slash on that film at the end of the year because if this is better then the first, then I must have missed something. I think that this film had some great moments, but this was the least scary Valak has ever been in my opinion. And the good certainly did not outweigh the bad this time. So it's a hack for me.
3: Wow, we've switched. Look at that.
2: We did. I'm, I'm so torn. I, I was not a fan of The Conjuring. And I was not a fan of The Conjuring too. I don't like The Conjuring universe. I don't like having the Warrens Getting more exposure. I'm not, a, I'm just not a big fan of them personally. They're probably great people, I'm sure, but they're a whole paranormal thing. I'm not into it. I don't, I don't like it. And so seeing it on film kind of bores me because it's just ridiculous. When I made it to the nun, though, I, I wanted to treat it mentally like a completely separate property, I wanted to forget the fact that they were even linked to the nun movies. And so the, the first one I was surprised. I was like, okay, it's not like a great movie or anything. It actually feels more like it needs to be a TV show. It feels like it would be like an FX show, to be honest, and then I would see it on Hulu at some point. It, it adds up that way. This movie was weird. It was really kind of jumbled. There's a lot of a lot of different genres that are that are crossover in this movie. The ending is the ending's bad. It's just poor. And the unfortunate thing about that is because it's built on kind of a, a shoddy foundation, it almost is like when you watch military movies and they have to deliberately mess up their uniforms because they're not real military members. And so it's like, did you guys kind of jumble some things because like you just couldn't do it perfectly, you know, for the sake of storytelling, is that what happened here? You're not allowed to, to get it all right. I'm not sure, but it seems like there needed to be a little bit more careful research done. I'm sure they did a lot, right? There's so many details in this movie. They did a lot of work to to make it and that's all right. But as a as a product, as a movie that you're gonna sit down and watch in the theater that so other people are going to watch, it's not a it's not a bad movie. It's an entertaining movie. It's a bit long, it's a bit slow in parts and a bit too fast in the others, but it's not a horrible movie. And I know that I'm not like the biggest fan of this stuff. It's fine. It went a little bit closer to some genres that I actually enjoy, so I'll give it some credit for that. So I'm actually going to surprise myself here. I'm going to give it a soft slash this is definitely not a definitely not a full on slash for me and i think part of it is as having watched it in the theater and getting the experience that the the filmmakers obviously want this to be watched in theater when i watched the nun at home it's it's just not the same it's not the same hearing the sounds on the big speakers seeing the dark bits. At at the house, you wouldn't be able to see what's going on, right? But in the theater, you can see all the little details. It's kind of fun. So I get it. You know, It's that blockbuster feel. That's why we love things like Fast and Furious movies or Transformer movies, right? Yeah. Are they perfect movies? Absolutely not. But I'm sitting in the theater. I'm eating some snacks. The sounds are going crazy. And I think if you can deliver an entertaining experience like that, you deserve at least a soft slash.
1: You know, it was giving a hack from Mac for a little while there, and you really turned it around.
2: It was. While I'm watching this, I really did have to think about it. You know, when I made it to the end and I was like, what am I going to give this? My default here was a hack. And I don't typically default to hacks, but my default for anything in this whole universe is a hack. Annabelle Properties, obvious hack for me. But like as a movie, this is creeping more towards... You know, some exorcist stuff, more towards some sci-fi. Got a good bit of action in here. So, yeah, they they were hitting a couple points that I could appreciate.
1: I can respect that. And I'm right there with you in terms of this movie being imperfect, right? This is not a movie that I think, for as much as I was so pleasantly surprised by The Nun, I'm not pleasantly surprised by this one. I think there are some surprises for sure. In consideration of what this movie does, I mentioned it earlier. A good sequel expands the story, escalates the story, continues that, and broadens the scope without completely losing sight of of what the original movie did. Where I have an issue is the fact that this movie does hold up its predecessor pretty well, but what it doesn't do is hold up the ending of its predecessor or the movies that are supposed to come after this in terms of the universe's timeline. This is something that feels super obvious and it feels almost offensive that they just couldn't get it right. And who knows, maybe another movie will come out and be like, wow, joke's on me. I was completely wrong. The feeling that I had walking out of this was almost like, wow, I wish they had really gone a different way. Even then, though, this is a movie where I think the brutality and the scope of it makes it better than the first. Which I think is a is a bold statement, and considering I just talked about how imperfect it is, even with all those imperfections, this is still a good time. This is a great grab your friends, go to the movie theater, watch some fucking horror movies in October, and just get some mac and cheese bites, get some popcorn, and have a good time. Our girl sister Irene delivers a great performance here and maybe i am blessed by not having the burden of the wealth of catholic knowledge to be super bothered by this movie but for me it's still given a slash and with that the nun 2 from 2023 has earned three slashes albeit one of them soft and a hack now you can find this movie in theaters right now so go check it out then join us in the second half so we can break down these timeline offenses we'll see you in a bit
4: Brethren, children of darkness, and listeners of Hackerslash, gather round, for I, Father Infernus, have come to spread the good, or should I say, malevolent news. Hallelujah! Today's sermon is sponsored by none other than the Celestial Abysses Harvard, the unparalleled Sister Valix Boarding School for the Spiritually Gifted, Strange, and Unusual. Ah, the curriculum. From necromancy to apocalyptic foresight, your younglings will be well equipped to carry out the infernal missions of the underworld. Glory be to the fallen. But hark, should they stray from the righteous path of darkness, Sister Valak herself shall guide them through the remedial fires of hell. Will they return? Ah, brothers and sisters, that is a test of faith. Their faith, their choice. Enlist your young ones before the wishing hour, and lo, they shall receive a most sacred Ouija board, and a vial of water so unholy it sizzles with malevolence. Praise be to the underworld. Let us close today's sermon with an appeal. Enroll your youthful souls in Sister Valach's sanctum of spiritual education. In this unholy academy, they shall either rise through depths or sink into eternal damnation. In the name of Sister Valach, Father Infernus, and the Unholy Spirits, Amen. Terms and conditions are irrevocable. Offering of souls or unholy tributes are non-refundable. Sister Alex boarding school assumes no liability for prolonged damnation, spiritual dissolution, or eternal wandering. Enroll with caution, for here we don't offer lifelines, only afterlives. Amen once more, and let the shadows fall where they may.
1: Welcome back folks, you're now entering the spoiler zone for The Nun 2 from 2023, which has earned three slashes in one hack. Now we have a lot to unpack here, but before we get into the specifics of our ratings, Sean, let's go through those kills.
0: Yeah, so we have a total of 10 kills in this one, only three of which we actually see during the film, which is disappointing because the ones we see are pretty good, but the ones that we hear about seem like they would be pretty good too. It might have been cool to get some flashbacks to those kills, but maybe that would have been too much to squeeze into the film and they would have probably had to edit other stuff out, but maybe that would have been better but let's talk about what we got and maybe some of the potential ones that could have been cool what were your all favorite kills
1: listen can i just dive right in with the priest that had the high ground and still got burned to a crisp crispy oh man that was rough the explosive kill there like just the spontaneous combustion of this man poor guy clearly didn't deserve
3: it but what a way to set the tone for the movie
0: it sure was yeah
3: I was gonna say when I saw that I was like, "Oh, we're doing this thing." It was very nice. I would say it was definitely impressive, but for me, it's the delivery girl mm-hmm. stood no chance whatsoever. That outright had my jaw drop. Like, we're really gonna get another fuck them kids, huh? Like, full on.
0: It's what it's all about this year.
3: It's that's what it is. We've evolved in theme. I do want to say, though, at that point,
1: I wrote down, bro, the year of fuck them kids real strong. And then the kids started getting flung around. But then I was like, "Okay, I think the movie is realizing how strong the year of fuck them kids has been, because then it kind of just tapered off. And it's like, okay, we don't like the kids, but maybe they've had it bad enough.
3: You're messing up the wrong kid. You're messing up the wrong kid. Like the delivery girl should have never (laughs) taken such a bad L. (laughs) She shouldn't have. She really shouldn't have.
0: You got that neck snapped.
3: It's the bullies, honestly. That was such a shame. It was such a shame. I will say, right before the delivery girls kill, though, I didn't like that there was that careful placement of the jars and that whole bit because you can typically tell that they're setting up for a jump scare. You're just waiting for that. You know what I mean? It just, it I didn't find it effective at all.
2: It's interesting how they like, they came out strong, like straight out of the gate, right? Like they're really trying to show us that they meant business in this movie. I think with both of those kills, because when that, when I saw the delivery girl, you know, get got here, it was like, dude, they're they're like. Nothing is sacred in this movie. They're gonna kill a bunch of kids because we're in a school. I mean, they stabbed one with with a with a devil horn, I guess. Like that was pretty close. But I think the only other on-screen death we can talk about is going to be Madame Lorraine. And you know, what a way to go. Getting killed by her own ghostly kid apparition. like is it actually her son? No, of course, right? It's Valak, of course. Or is it right? Are we calling back to The Conjuring Two? Is she holding the ghost of her son hostage and then using him? Who knows? It doesn't really matter in this case, I guess, too much. But it was pretty gnarly to imagine that, like the the that your poor little child is just sitting there in the afterlife being used by a demon.
1: Yeah, this is exactly what I was referring to in the spoiler-free section when I was talking about like this movie does some shit that's. Emotionally devastating, not in the way that it hits you with all that grief, but d- it does make you pause and think, Wow, how awful is that?
0: Again, the ghost
1: of kids' past, fuck them kids.
0: Mm-hmm. Real sad. It was still given from the nun, the first one with Daniel or whatever, the little boy luring.
3: But this was better.
0: Yeah, 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 for sure.
3: Yeah, it was better, but also it was giving a little kung fu fighting, you know? throwing that thing around I was like oh that reminds me of like when I was a kid and I would use this this hula hoop and think like I was some hot shit you know what I mean like just Whipping things around.
0: Everybody was kung fu fighting.
3: And that's what he's doing, like, with his incense, you know? I don't know. I I thought it more than... I found it way more comical than I did heartwarming or whatever.
0: Heartwarming. Nothing warms the heart like getting beat to death by your dead son, you know?
3: I'm saying because Chris is like, oh, that's, like, where it's, like, really emotional. And meanwhile, I'm, like, cracking up because this guy's just like, you know, like, with the freaking incense thing. Okay, can we just take a moment
1: to acknowledge, though, how completely hilarious it was well it kind of fucked up but also hilarious it was that father burke was just killed off off screen unceremoniously from cholera like that's giving alex browning Sent being sent off in the Final Destination sequels because a brick fell on his head in the fucking alley. Like you know what I mean? Like it was just so unceremonious and just you can fade off in the background because you're no longer relevant to the story we want to tell.
0: Yeah, they were like, we don't really have a place for you, so this is what we're gonna write. Terrible. Kick rocks, father.
2: It's really just to make up for their own logical issues, right? Because if he was still around, they were like, well, why would we need our main character then if this dude was still alive and kicking? So he's got to die.
0: Yeah. I still think it would have been cool like if we just just revisiting, you know, the deaths that they mention leading up like all these priests, nuns, specifically the one where the priest apparently slits his throat with a rosary, like that flashback could have been fucking solid.
3: Totally agree.
0: That would have been that would have been a, a horrific scene
3: to show. Very fucked up. But you know what I found pretty fucked up truthfully visually? I'm sorry, I just wasn't the biggest fan of the demon goat thing. I don't really know how to feel about it still. Like I wasn't a big fan.
2: I think there's an answer to this, and that is Guillermo Del Toro, right? So he showed us what you can do to make really interesting, malevolent looking characters. And they can also be almost kind of cartoonish, almost like Jim Hensony in a way, but they can still be like like awesome. Like like the Fawn, right? The the Fawn was just like a great character, looked amazing. Doug Jones First of all, get Doug Jones. I'm sorry, get Doug Jones to do everything because then, you know, you're going to have a good time. This character almost, was it supposed to be the devil or was it just an incarnation of the demon? It's unclear. I assumed the latter, but it was like too fluffy yeah, and looked like you could pet it.
0: It wasn't great. It was that misplaced level of camp that just didn't work in the film for me. I just don't think it needed to be in there really at all.
1: You know, I don't even have that written down as my first note visually in this entire movie. But as I expanded the toggle for my notes on on what I wanted to bring up, it was for sure the first line, was that a goat demon? The devil? It's absolutely a little bit absurd. I think the first moment that you see it, it's kind of like a, okay, it's there and it's gone so quickly that it's like, I get the idea of what it's supposed to be. And that's kind of cool. Let's not dwell on it. But then it does too much and it exposes itself too much. And now I feel like I'm just going to make a bunch of Capricorn memes. Mm. Like, the, that's me. That's me just fucking running down these, these corridors. <laughs> but that was, I think, the, the sore thumb that stuck out in this movie. It was inconsistent with the rest of the movie. That and then a little bit of what we get with Valak rising from the ground. The eyes that we get on Maurice after he's possessed and kind of channeling Valak. Yeah. Some of that was also a little bit off. But I think beyond those things, I thought it was pretty solid overall.
0: Yeah, but all of those visuals are like the visuals that you're waiting for in the film. Like you want to see the possession. You want to see Valak. You want to see this demon thing. But like none of it was done well. I don't think Valak looked great in this film really in most areas of this film. Like I I feel like for some reason the eyes didn't hit for me this time. Like they tried to do too much glowy eye bullshit. Like it just didn't hit the same. Like it it wasn't menacing. It didn't feel frightening. There wasn't anything scary about Valak in this one. Minus one scene. That that that's it for me.
2: Well honestly, if you're going to have A creature like this opposing one of the farmija sisters you better really up your game when it comes to glowy eyes because they know how to do glowy eyes true like that's that's a tall order to try to outdo your 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 main character's eyes because they're bomb yeah i'm sorry both sisters out of all six kids I think if I had to pick something like, you know, visually that was amazing, it was, it was that whole jaunt down the like cobblestone brick road thing, looking after the, you know, trying to, trying to follow that soccer kid. That, that whole segment was phenomenal visually. And I know that the, the magazine stand thing was in the trailer and it like, we knew to expect it, but it still looked really cool on screen. It was probably a little bit too long. They should have gone way faster with it because we were just waiting. Okay. There's 55,000 magazines on this thing. We know what we're building to. We all saw the trailer, whatever build up to it. It's cool and everything, but it was, it was still a nice little visual. And I think just the look of that street that we're on, the lighting that they chose for it, there's something, there was something like really good. And I think that worked. I think that worked especially for the Nun movies. It did it, it did it justice.
1: I 100% agree, Mac. I think it's actually in those moments that we get a lot of what I was referring to earlier with the streetlights at night. And we have this atmosphere that feels Exorcist-esque to me. Great moment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I agree with that scene. I think overall, visually, it is really, for me, the set design of the film. I think it was visually really cool to look at. And I believe that this film was actually filmed in an abandoned church in France, which I think is also really cool to think about like, right? Like I'd love to visit places like that. I think that would be super cool to experience to go and see some of these old churches or abbeys and, and, you know, take some pictures, even just a vibe out there to kind of see it's, it's a little bit old, it's old, it's spooky. It was a great choice to actually film in. So I think really just what they did with the set design and the lighting to your point, Chris, I think it just added a lot of really great visuals for the film.
3: I agree with you because I almost wish that I had seen even more of the dark, creepy corners of this boarding school. Just that alone. You know, even what we got, it just made me more curious. So I think it was really cool that it was filmed there. Uh, You brought up something earlier when it comes to Valak. I agree that it was a little much, too much of the glowy eyes and quite frankly, just too much of her at the forefront, which is a complaint that I think we had with the first film where the best part about Valak is that you don't really see her completely. You know, or she's just always, or if you do, it's just like sudden right there. Like her presence speaks for itself. You don't need the glowy eyes. You don't need close ups of the smile or anything like that to make her creepy. However, there's a couple scenes that I think really landed for me visually in what she looks like. It's the concrete when this little girl's like, Oh shit. Like she was standing right there. And all of a sudden her face is so well done, etched into that concrete. Spectacular. It's the red light really right before she kills the delivery girl. I think that was kind of cool. I'm not a major fan of her always rising up from the ground. Like this is some type of evil dead rise type of situation. But I think there are some moments where I am intimidated by her and her presence that I think it was done really well visually. But I, I... can see on the other spectrum of things, right? My biggest gripe with the first one was that they made her talk, and they did a lot of, like, again, the close-ups of the mouth, and what makes her so tense and haunting is just, like, the the shadow of her hood alone, and this jawline that this woman has is crazy, like... (laughs) I sometimes forget that like this is actually an actress that is the nun. You know what I'm saying? Like Valak is an actual human being. It's not some CGI thing completely. And that's wild. Makeup is crazy good here, right? So I I love how you brought up the eyes thing. I didn't really notice it too much. I thought just in general she showed up a lot and I wasn't too crazy about it. The few moments, though, it did it just enough for me to find her more intimidating and cooler here than the first one. I know I talked about it as my... favorite kill but my absolute
1: favorite scene is everything up until we get the moment that the priest dies because wow what a moment for the vessel of wine to crack and then shatter jock runs back upstairs to the priest then we see holy water boiling and evaporating this is sizzling it's so good and listen i know it's ahsoka right? There's a whole moment right now. Everybody's up about Star Wars, but I've been watching a little bit too much Star Wars because this chick really came out here and used the force on this man, Pull the Darth Vader <laughs> a la Rogue One. Thinking about the presence of Darth Vader at the end of Rogue One, and even what we see in some of the expanded universe, like just comics, right? We see all this history of like, why is Darth Vader considered to be such a menacing, powerful, terrifying figure? We see that in Rogue One, but we get through these moments where that presence, it reminded me of Darth Vader. Like, Darth Vader peak Darth Vader, like at his absolute worst and height of power. That's what that scene gave me. And I'm like, oh shit, here it is. This is the escalation. This is the progression of Alec that I can really buy into.
3: I think you're talking about the progression of Valak. And like I just mentioned right now, my favorite scene is really what leads up to that moment of the concrete, her face in the concrete. And I just appreciate Valak so much in the, her design. And I think it's so incredible from just like force choking this priest to, you know, creating conjuring these like, albeit campy goats. I think she's so sinister. And my problem is, is that when you start to do too much, and I I actually didn't just, I didn't mention this earlier. When you start to do too much, for example, the slow fingers gripping something, that's cliche. We've seen that. There's no need for that, in my opinion, right? I mentioned the rising from the ground, like you're a god. Like, uh, you know, it's it's cheesy. That's not you. And actually, to me, maybe even the newspaper bit, like, or coming out of a painting, we've also seen that. And especially coming out of the painting with like her... I don't know, she her, She looked like a...
0: The Beetlejuice segment?
3: The Beetlejuice, oh my god, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what was that, her snout coming out? I was like, this is strange.
0: She's ripping through.
3: Those things are, they're not necessary. And what I love about this scene in particular, although it starts with the finger around the door, what I love is that it's, just she's running right and you just quickly just see her standing right in front of you that's what to me is valak where she just like shows up what would you do if a tower of a nun of demon nun was just like standing right there to the point where when she showed up i was like that's when i gasped that's when i was like oh fuck you know because it would catch me off guard and i love that about valak even when she's at the end of a hallway that kind of stuff is what i appreciate and i hope to see more of in this next film if they Include her, right? Or if they don't, who knows?
0: It is a good scene, though. How did you feel about that whole scene leading up to getting the visual of her in, the, in Ed and Lorraine's hallway?
3: I wasn't too crazy about it because it just didn't make sense either. It almost felt like what's all, what's, what's with all this like premonitions and seeing the features? What's fuchs- the
0: point of showing that?
3: Yeah, it makes no sense because we've seen it. And, like, at this point, I mean, even Max seen it. Like, you've seen The Conjuring too. You've seen – there's no need for that kind of stuff. Granted, I do appreciate when she is at the end of the hallway, but you didn't have to do it Ed and Lorraine Warren style. Why wasn't she at the end of the hallway of all, for all the times that we saw this long corridor leading into the, that, that section, right? I can't think of it right now, where, where this little boy died. Like, why wasn't she at the end of that more often? Or at the staircases – there's so many opportunities for that, that you just ended up, it ended up being cheap, doing, doing this kind of like illusion of the future, it seemed like. I don't know. Is this us taking issue with the classic James
1: Wan tactic of a flashback to something that you just saw and didn't need a flashback of? Wow,
3: that's so crazy. But in this case, it's not even a flash. It's a flashback for us, but it's like... It's foreshadowing for the character? What is this? That's what I'm saying. It's, but it's that's just for the
1: fans. That's just for people who watch these fucking movies. Yeah. That's not for them. It's a flashback that was unnecessary.
0: We just
2: didn't need it.
1: You trim it out and it could have been such a much more efficient film. And it's not something that I think added a ton, ton of value.
2: There is a scene that I think did add some value, though. And that is the scene where Sophie is persuaded into playing the game mm. by the by the bullies. Yeah. I loved that scene. I especially loved it because we know at this point that anyone can get got in this movie, even kids, right? Yeah. And so you're, you're kind of worried for Sophie. She seems like she's a little, like a little sweet child. And then she's set up by these girls and now she's in the room. She's in the chapel with Valak and anything could happen because it's obvious that she's like, she's there and she's hunting her. And so I think they set up some, some good, some good stress for that character here. And I, I do love the fact that. Like they, they, they don't just get her in there, right? They don't just convince her to go in there and look around. They, they preface this whole thing with this game where she can't look away. And when she does look away, that's when the risk finally occurs because we don't know if she's going to make it out. It's true. And that's good suspense. I think they delivered here what, what you need in this moment. You need good suspense. We don't know that she's safe now. And honestly, the rest of the movie, it becomes clear that she's probably safe for the most part, but here she's still at risk and here you're worried for. Her. And I, and I just love that whole segment. I think it was really well done showed off the chapel, which was a great piece of set right there as well, especially like the little you know the little shiny eyeball thing coming from the goat that was cool, showing the laser beam that was the national treasure moment, a hundred percent, oh yeah, but that's okay, you know to have a little Indiana Jones in there here and there i'm o- I'm okay with that <laughs> their ability to to have some suspense in a movie where we do get a little bit too much from for most of it. It's like okay, you've got it, just more more of that,
0: yeah, for sure. I think, I think we touched on a lot of really good scenes. I, I do agree that, you know, the visuals we get, especially, you know, that, that chase scene with the with the boy and going into the newspaper scene, that was all great. I do agree that the newspaper bit was a little bit prolonged and it could have been more effective if it was shortened a little bit and maybe a better jump scare out of it. But I did also like a more subtle revealing of the letters Valak in that scene. Like each each pathway she goes through, there's a letter on the wall somewhere v-a-l-a-k right you're getting you're getting the name Balak which was cool but I also like a really quick and subtle scene that it's the moment where sister Irene wakes up but really wakes up into a dream into the visual you get she wakes up in like the silhouette of the nun outside of her bed because you think at first it's gonna be Valak, right but then it's not it's just one of the other nuns but it was it was kind of a, a cool little quick bit that I think was, it did add value. I really enjoyed that little bit there.
3: I love that you mentioned the letters, because to be very honest with you, I was like, maybe I'm just reading too into this. This is, right? Like, there just happens to be a K, there just happens to be an L, like, nah, Bianca, like... This is too much. But I'll tell you, now that I've it's not just me, and so therefore it must be true, they did it way better than they did in the Conjuring 2, that's for sure. Not that again, once again, the bar, hella low, right? Like very low. This is the way that they should have done that, the subtlety.
1: I was just gonna say, man, it wasn't letters on the bookcase, was it?
0: Definitely not.
1: I also want to give a shout out to another scene that is probably so modest in comparison to everything else that we've discussed. But it's the storytime scene. It was the previously on the nun scene for all those who were uninitiated and, you know, haven't, haven't watched the previous film. Because, wow, I actually love this little moment of spooky nun ghost stories. I really enjoyed that. And then we have this moment of like, shit, Sister Irene heard she hears it. She knows that they're talking about her. There's this exchange of what happened to the nun. Well, no one really knows. And then you have the rumors that the Vatican had her locked up and the priest was made a bishop and it's like the double standard there. And could she have handled it when really the hero is amongst them? And, you know, once again, a woman is standing in the shadow of a man's success, even though she was the one who fully showed down and and banished that demon. And I I absolutely loved that. And I think that's why I adore Sister Irene so much more in this movie. I think the character work in this movie was top-notch. Even down to the girls who were you know the bullies for Sophie, they they had great performances. There's even a moment of com- of comedy when uh, the teacher says we're gonna take a break and then she's like, I was just getting into character. It was absolutely precious. And oh
3: man, there's like so much dynamic range in in these performances. To be honest, now that you say the the story time, it's great for me because then it almost saves me from having to watch rewatch the first one.
1: Oh, man. Be very real with you. I also want to point out, not that this is like a real thing, but there's a little bit of gay subtext in here. And I'm not saying that the nuns are lesbians. Don't worry. <laughs> but there was a quote. There was a specific quote in the movie where Sister Irene and Sister Deborah are talking. And Sister Irene talks about her father and how her father thought that she was just like her mother, but she knows it's not something good. And there was a quote that she talked about, like, sending me away was easier than dealing with who I was or accepting who I was, et cetera. And I was like, fuck, man, not y'all making me feel seen. Not that it was like for me personally, but I think just like what those experiences are like growing up within this community.
3: I think having it out like that, I'm like, damn, this shit's cutting deep. I love that. That's true. But now that we're actually on the topic of Deborah, is it just me or was she not... Giving 1950s. This girl, outright, I don't know, something about her, the way that she was acting, the way that she was like her dialogue, her mannerisms. I was like, ma'am, you're a nun from like the 2020s. You are not (laughs) a nun from the 1950s. Mm. With the way that you're talking, with the way that you're holding that cigarette, with the way that you're telling these stories, there is no way on this planet that you are from the 1950s. Is it just me? Maybe it's a little biased because it's Storm Reed. Like, And I know, and I've seen her in The Last of Us and Euphoria and all this other stuff. But like, I don't know, man. The believability there was pretty low for me. Yeah,
1: I didn't have any gripe with it at all. I wasn't distracted by it, at least. I'd be curious on a rewatch if, like, you know, I think obviously the dialogue that we use in this movie is not particularly super modern, right? So I I think it's not like she's out here using modern terms. But there was nothing about her performance that stood out to me in that way. I just thought she was great.
3: No, and she she was great. Don't get me wrong. I just think, like, it, it felt off. I didn't believe that she w- would have been a nun in the night or like even in a monastery in the 1950s with the way that she was acting and, and her experiences, the way that she was even talking to Sister Irene, like it was so casual. And I don't know, it just seemed a little off. Granted, that's the point because she didn't want to be there to begin with. Like you were just saying, I, I just didn't buy into it extremely. I also feel like the whole conversation about having faith was just a little bit cheesy and so obvious that it's like, well, that's going to be how they you know, conquer Valak, you know, I feel like they could have done a little bit better. could have been a little more creative and not be so obvious in that way.
1: Yeah, no, I get you. Cause the second they say, hope you find your faith when the moment, when the moment, when the moment comes and it's like, all right, water to wine, wine to
3: blood. Let's go.
0: That's it. That's it.
3: A hundred percent. And, and also I would dare say even Maurice with Sophie, when it comes to fear, like that also, and, and that is a, definitely more necessary because you need to establish like how this little girl is gonna be able to you know conquer something big and just the especially with maurice being the conduit but i don't know i just feel like the dialogue felt so cheesy in those two particular scenes that are obviously necessary to set up and be this callback in this as we all agree terrible ending
0: yeah i don't know i i just didn't think There was a whole lot here for character development for most of the characters. I I don't know if it was like the worst part of the film. I do think there were good moments, right? I think some of the kids had some good moments for sure. I don't know if it was consistent throughout the film. Sister Irene probably stole the show. I think she's a protagonist that you could really root for and get behind. I think that really saved the film from a character standpoint. I think Maurice this time didn't give a fuck. Like, he could have died. Don't care. Yeah, I just don't think they really invested a lot in anyone else, really, that made me care about anyone other than Sister Irene. Maybe that was the point. I don't know.
3: Has to be the point, because Maurice can't die, baby.
2: Apparently not, dude. He could fall off a whole watchtower. I mean, I think we know what happens, because we're literally told in a previous movie.
3: But that's what I'm saying, is that he he can't die in The Nun 2, because unfortunately, they already spoiled how that goes for him in the end credits of the first one. Like let's, let's get into it friends. This is all out of fucking order. And it really annoys me. They should have never put that end credit scene of the, of the nun in the nun. They should have waited for that. There was no need to do the, the Nick, the Nick Fury, uh, phone call of like, You know, God, Patrick Wilson turning around answering that phone being like, we're back at it again, folks like that could have been safe for the first movie. Tell me that Maurice is the one that they, you know, exercise in the second one when it's very clear that that's what connects Valak to Lorraine Warren. The fact that she is a descendant of of St. Lucie, the fact that all of these other things like that makes more sense in the second film where we explore this connection than the first one. Because now I'm spending the whole movie watching or The Nun 2 watching Maurice and being like, and somehow you're going to make it out of this, bro. You fall out of a whole watchtower. You, you've had all kinds of things done to you and you still make it. And the worst part of all, sorry, I'm ranting now. The worst part of all is Irene's face when he walks away. Like just the slightest bit of like, hmm, something's not right to make up the like. To remind us that we already know that this guy still has Valak in him. Like, we already know that, Irene. We
0: already know. Thank you.
3: You're not smart. Like, we know. Listen, I'm going to say this.
1: I don't want Frenchie in this movie. Because of that very reason. We know what happens to him. We know. So, the second you put a man in this movie, who is then the vessel of this fucking demon, you know that no matter what ending you get to this movie, it's bullshit. It's complete bullshit. I have such mixed feelings on this because, A, I do adore his character. I think he was lovable. I think I had a fun time with him on screen. I think seeing him in his peak possession was great. But unless this movie ended with him being handed over to the Warrens, everything else is fucking null and void. And that is what kills me about this. So we have in The Conjuring... We see the lecture where he is being exercised. And then the Conjuring 2, is like the resolution of this demon, right? So we know that Valak gets defeated in the Conjuring 2. So let's just like take it back in time to see where did Valak come from? Oh, okay. Then she got transported into Maurice. They could have like had this like peppering, this like, uh, this like trail of breadcrumbs from Maurice. Without actually confronting Maurice. Like, we could have felt like dealt with the ramifications of Valak this entire time without having to have that final showdown. Because now all this does is, okay, great, he's, he's fine, he survived, he, whatever. But that motherfucker is still in him and we know it. And it completely takes the teeth out of the bite. This is like an old dog with no fucking teeth trying to bite your arm. And it's just gums. It's just gums. This whole movie is just gums. <laughs> and that's what drives me fucking crazy about this whole approach.
3: This is the most fascinating example, but I I can't believe it. I completely agree, though, because what annoys me so much, too, and I mentioned this earlier, getting into the lore of things and what is, to me, a little bit offensive, just a smidge, and, and I can see how they tried to repair it, but how are you going to tell me that Jesus Christ's blood is not as powerful as Saint Lucy's eyes to start one? Because like we're talking the actual blood of Jesus Christ in the first movie versus blood that they just believe or rather wine that they believe and therefore is blood of Jesus Christ slash Saint Lucy's eyes. And then, and then to top it all off. My absolute favorite. I mean, we've talked about The Conjuring too. You just mentioned it right now. Spoilers, I guess, to that as well. But, and then you're going to tell me that the name of Valak, the name alone, is more powerful than both of those things combined? Get out of here. I'm sorry. There's no way. It's like Jesus and Jesus concentrate.
2: Just add water. <laughs> oh, so that, I mean, that ending, this, you made reference to Nick Fury earlier. This ending was legitimately Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, the whole Saint Lucy's eyes thing was a freaking like power stone. That's what was going on here. It was Guardians of the Galaxy, and then it was like, Oh, well, it's okay because like I'm part celestial. That's effectively a Guardians of the Galaxy ripoff. That's what we got here. It was a Marvel ripoff. It was ridiculous. Um, first of all, why do you have a nun consecrating wine? That's against the rules. That's not, and that's not even how you do it. She like didn't do everything correctly. You're breaking rules. It wouldn't have worked anyway. St. Lucy's eyes were miraculously restored to her. So why do we, did they pluck him out again? I just,
3: oh my God. So they
2: were like, oh my God, they grew back. Let's take him out and then put him in like a container. Excuse me. This is the clear worst part of the movie. Everything that they had set up. Oh, like the foundation of how they were going to save her. I, it's just so bad logistically. No research.
3: No. No. Look, I'm sorry, but the Catholics are popping off right now because yeah. I I am so <laughs> upset. It's the fact that they even did one of the more famous paintings and then they removed her eyes off that painting. Are you kidding me? That's not even what the painting looks like just to fit your story when it's not even true. <laughs> mm, terrible. Bro, I got it. Are you fucking
1: ready for this? Are you ready for this? St. Lucy had her eyes back. All right, we get that. But then, what you really don't know is that this is also Repo the Genetic author.
2: <laughs> Sorry, things they
1: just repoed that shit.
2: Oh. It's the sequel. I mean, this is also kind of National Treasure moment where they just like made some stuff up about history because it suited them to make a story. Yeah. You know, it's also the Da Vinci Code. Yep. 100% here. Yep. It's all of these things.
0: Yeah.
3: I mean- yeah, this is, the part, this is the part that I don't know how you don't see that, Chris.
1: It's not that, like, if I sit down with a comparison of National Treasure versus this, would I see it? Sure. But I'm not thinking about the National Treasure. Like, I'm not thinking about that shit on a regular basis. Like, I forgot that movie exists until someone said the name. You know what I mean? Like, that's not the first conscious thought. Ooh. Indiana Jones? hundred percent. Right? We're going to steal an artifact? Absolutely. Indiana
3: Jones. National Treasure? Nah. No thanks. Maybe because, like, they say they the word treasure and, like, artifact. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. I don't know. But maybe. Maybe. I think
2: it's because they, they play fast and loose with, with history and historical items in this movie. And in Indiana Jones, they're like, we don't really need to to play that fast and loose.
1: Mm, history. It's,
2: it's all of it blended together, you
0: know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, hey, what's better, fact or fiction? <laughs> we ain't got none of that today
2: screaming yeah we got enough of it we got enough of it oh man this whole movie has some factor fiction going on for real good point good point chris yeah there's there's just like so many logistical things that don't add up and so much of the, the, the actual catholic stuff here is is a major major problem i mean also okay so let's let's assume that saint lucy's eyes are a thing and that they're a relic and that they've survived all this time and that they apparently can perform miracles they're a miraculous relic okay great so why an, earth would a demon want them it doesn't add up to be like well she's a demon therefore she used to be an angel so she can use the power again it's freaking guardians of the galaxy that's all this is they're power stones
3: i will never think of this movie again the same way after you've made that comparison
2: (laughs) well so we get the whole i'm related to her therefore i can i can use my power And it's like, okay, all right, so you're part celestial, so you can handle the Infinity Stone. Okay, rip off.
1: Again, miss me with all that. But it was giving for me, I guess in terms of the logistics of like, why would a demon want it? It was giving a werewolf is going around town buying all the inventory up of the silver bullets to make sure no one else can harm him. That's what it was giving for me. It seemed just responsible of Val to make sure that this one thing that could absolutely destroy her is not in the hands of someone who could
3: destroy her.
2: Except we know the one thing that can destroy her, and it's a lay exorcist, apparently. Ridiculous.
3: And honestly... You know what? This is going to go right into what I consider the worst part because after everything that we've just said, I did find this movie fun. Maybe, it, maybe it's one of those things where a borderline upsets me to the point where I, I enjoy it. Not the none, not the first one though. That one just upset me, but this one was like, it upsets me and it fires me up enough where I'll watch it again and I'll enjoy it. But the worst part for me is these inc- inconsistencies, like we've talked about, because it's all of these methods to try and make sense of this bigger picture that could have been executed so much nicer and like made so much more sense if they actually just treated it with a little bit more care. Because like I said earlier, you know, the story writer, she has done some pretty good movies that we've slashed, we've enjoyed, you know, for the most part. And I just don't know how... You didn't check your facts when writing this story when you have so much material. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you were able to do some pretty good stories without any material at all. This one, you've got material. It's almost like a fail-safe. And somehow, it just doesn't make sense at all. And now I am, no, I'm so serious. Like, this whole Thanos gauntlet thing is stuck in my head. Like, you nailed it, Mac. A hundred percent. That's exactly what this is.
2: Honestly, though, like, I, I mentioned earlier that it reminds me of some military movies where they just get certain things really wrong. You know, they have somebody grab an assault rifle and they're holding it, sticking that elbow out. And you're like, no, who would do that? Your elbow's gonna get shot off. You're giving yourself away. It's ridiculous. Or some like a modern military movie and somebody calls somebody Sarge. And you're like, first of all, Ain't nobody calling nobody Sarge. All right. A sarn. That's how you say a Sarn. That's ridiculous. You know, where their ribbons are all off or their hats are wrong or everybody uses tracers when they're firing. It's ridiculous. But yeah, those, the details I think matter to the people who can recognize details. Yeah. And if you're going to do a religiously themed movie, one, either don't or keep it subtle like The Exorcist.
0: It's not that The the Exorcist is subtle, it's just the lore that they try to tie into all these different parts of Catholicism with, like, the saints and the history behind it. It just didn't land in this film because, obviously, they were just wrong. You know, thinking of a best part of this film, I just think, you know, there's there's not a whole lot here that you can consider, like, the best part of the film. I think if I had to pick the best part that I can feel really confident in, it would just be the actual look of the film itself the set design the lighting it's really all i can really ride on to enjoy this movie right like there's bits and pieces of the story that i do really enjoy i'm not mad at you know the whole descendant thing for the most part but it's just i don't know i can't say because the story is so rocky that i can't confidently say that that's the best part so really The best part has to come down to just the choices they made with the cinematography, the lighting, the set design, and how they built those scenes. That's got to be it.
1: I love that the subtext here is, this movie isn't very smart. doesn't have a great personality, but it
0: looks good. Yeah, it looks good.
1: Yeah. I think the bigger question is, would
3: you be willing to give it another shot? Maybe it's my toxic trait, but yes. Because ultimately, like I just said, it upsets me enough and it riles me up. But it also was fun. Some of the kills are great. I mean, Sean just said it right now, even visually. I definitely prefer it over the first one. So if I was going to do a whole franchise binge like I sometimes do, I would definitely choose to watch this one. And like I said earlier, take the little story time that the nuns say and just keep on my merry about way. And I and I think that'll be that. I don't see any problem with it. And and who doesn't want to see someone like you know wielding a sensor around like a little you know weapon? You know what I'm saying? Like that little boy was going at it. I think that's fun. Why not?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I think I think you touched on it. I, I don't know that I really wish to see this one again. But if it did happen, and it could happen, it would have to happen with a Conjuring Universe marathon. But at this point, with all that I've seen. I really feel like I'm really only really out here for just the Conjuring films themselves. Like I'm not really in I'm not I don't need to see The Nun, Annabelle. If they make a Crooked Man, it's probably going to be trash. Like I don't know that I want to see any of these spin-off universe films anymore. Like I just I just want the Conjuring <laughs> and that's it.
2: I'm there with you, right? Where I don't see myself like watching this on its own but as part of a franchise binge. I think it would absolutely make sense in one specific use case. I want to watch the Conjuring Universe movies in a machete order of some sort. I want to see them in chronological order of of events and not chronologically like when they were released. And then I want to skip any end credits scene. So that's just don't give me the weak tiebacks. Just like let me watch the story unfold.
1: I can respect that. I would be interested in in seeing what a supercut looks like. Make all this shit make sense. However... I'm going to throw in the asterisk that I want the Chris, supercut where I also cut out the bullshit that we don't need, besides just the end credits. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this shit nice and lean. Like the the cut I dream of doing for the Halloween franchise. I want that kind of shit for the Conjuring universe, and maybe that's something. If we just make that shit like a good five hours long, maybe tops, we
2: can work that shit out. Just take it and cut it into a TV show. I think these types of movies would really benefit from being like either some type of like anthology series. Or just a long-running show.
3: Well, and they are going to be. I believe Max has the right. Well, yeah, Max has the rights to Conjuring franchise, so they're going to be making a show now. What the contents of said show are, not necessarily sure how that's going to pan out, but that's what I had heard on the street.
0: Word on the street.
3: We'll see if that word
1: on the street is any good, at least when it comes down to that series. But for now, there you have it, folks. The Nun 2 from 2023 has earned three slashes and one hack. We certainly had a robust
3: discussion here, but it doesn't end here by any means. We want to know what you think. How do you feel about the direction this film took with Alex Motives? Let us know. You can join in on the conversation by hanging out with us for free in our Discord. Click the link in our show notes to sign up.
2: If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, consider joining the New Blood Drive and becoming a member of the family. Visit patreon.com slash hacker slash to enjoy more of the show with early access, extended episodes, bonus content, and live shows.
1: We'll see you next time, folks. And remember, it's okay to be scared.
2: He's watching you.
1: I need to tell you about the horror that unfolded in my movie theater (laughs) i don't know that i have ever been so angry in a theatrical experience since watching titanic for the second time and someone coughing in front of me and getting me sick oh no i know it's been a while
0: that's terrible
1: so listen i sit down for the nun too when i bought my tickets i saw that plenty of other people had bought tickets for this movie and yet i was the only one who showed up so i get the seat that i love All the way back center row. Don't like anyone coming in behind me. I'm enjoying the movie. We get through the previews. We're like five minutes into the movie before the only other people who showed up for the showing actually come through. It's a lovely man and woman. Seem like they're a couple. They have their snacks, they have their drinks. We're enjoying the movie together. We're having a great time. We're not really reacting or distracting from the experience one of them started vaping. That was a little weird, but whatever. I'm not going to yuck their yums. We get all the way through the fucking movie. And then you have a moment in here. And since you know, we're recording this live and there's some people in the chat who haven't seen it yet, I'm not going to spoil everything. But there is a big confrontation that happens. You know, some suspended mid-air things that are going on. You have some reveal of some things, the telling of some vital lore for this franchise and for this universe. And in walks a group of people who are phones out, flashlights on, shining around the whole fucking theater. Oh,
2: no. Shining
1: their fucking flashlights.
2: What were they looking for?
1: They were theater hopping, so they were scoping out where they wanted to sit for the next fucking showing of The Nun 2. Terrible. Terrible. I know, Binks. I know. Binks. when I text you, next time I want to see a movie at this theater, don't let me be an
3: idiot. This is what I'm fucking referring to. But it's that I've been telling you that since you've told me that that's the theater you go to. I tried to warn you time and time again. It was bound to happen. It's not even like my theater. I usually go to a much nicer one. But this, I was just exhausted from driving. I wanted to be close to home. And this is what I get. I know. But like, This is more than... You've been there more than once, and that already is one too many times. Twice out of the movies. Yeah. Twice out of the movies that we've seen recently.
1: But aside from that, what really just took things up to another level is, like, they they had their fucking lights on. They're shining it around, and I'm thinking, like, oh, my God, if they just need a minute, okay, fine. But then the lights fucking stay on and then they're like walking down aisles trying to scope out a fucking seat they're shining it in my goddamn eyes they're shining it in my fucking face and i'm like throwing my hands up and i'm like how much more obvious can i see maybe because i'm wearing my black slasher enthusiast sweatshirt maybe i'm blending in for you i don't know but i throw my hand up and no still no fucking acknowledgement so at this point there's like a big moment where things are like flashing before someone's eyes. And like, you see a lot of things that are happening. Yeah. And I'm missing some critical fucking aspects of the ending of this movie. And I then just yell, shut off the light. (laughs) And what do these motherfuckers do? They don't shut off the light. Then the woman who's in the couple says, shut off the light. You're shining it in our faces. (laughs) And then they finally shut it off. But then they fucking turn that shit back on. Oh no. The dude in the couple was about to fight these kids. Jeez. it was fucking ridiculous and he didn't and, and, and it not no the kids ended up fucking shutting off their goddamn lights and then the movie ended two seconds later i was livid Ugh.
3: and then what happened when the movie like ended ended like lights are on they just got up and left how, how did that confrontation go no they just got up and left see all of that and they didn't end up actually even staying uh-huh
0: well they were camping out for the next showing that's the whole thing
3: yeah no i know but then they would have camped out and actually stayed for the next showing no yeah yeah. Or were they just hiding? They were, oh, they were hiding in there in the meantime. Maybe.
1: I don't know. I was so fucking angry though. Ruined the end of the movie and I had to text Sean, Hey, have you seen this movie? Cause I got questions. Sean had to tell me how this fucking movie ends.
2: Oh, yeah. God,
3: how atrocious.
2: You know, they, they always like to say stuff like the kids and the youth, you know, they're, they're the future or whatever. And it's like, yeah, if our future is Mad Max. Or like the purge or something. That's this is this is what we can expect with with youth like this. Oh my. Street youths.
3: I was gonna make a comment. Street youths of this particular city that she went to, you know? Well
1: that's uh that's Binx's Street his streets. Yeah, I was gonna say, I'm a good street youth. <laughs> 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 oh, it was absolutely fucking terrible. Absolutely fucking terrible. That's horrendous.
2: I mean, I went to of, of like the two theaters nearby me, like one's really good, which is AMC, and the other one is mediocre, which is Regal. And I, I decided to go to Regal because they had a showing that was like 40 minutes earlier. I think there was like maybe less than a dozen people in the whole theater, and they were all above the age of 55 watching The Nun 2 on a Sunday.
1: You know what? They get it. Right. The, the, also, this was a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Actually, no, was it? No, this was not. This was a Saturday afternoon. What the fuck am I thinking? But honestly, big respect to anyone who watches The, Sun 2 or the Nun 2 on a Sunday.
2: <laughs> I went I went on Sunday as well afternoon I went uh, like at noon basically and in my theater the worst that was happening is like at the beginning you know you get through like the pre-trailer crap that they have on the screen and that ended and there was like a pause a momentary pause and somebody just yelled you know all right movie's over you guys ready to go and everybody laughed you know cuz there's maybe 10 of us that I think that was the most interaction we had i felt bad because i was like making noise with my horrible theater nachos which is basically they give you some like a package of chips and then cheese to dip it in yeah and i was like opening the bag and it was like got all silent of course at that moment i was like great now i have to slowly silently try to open my bags but. always oh man everyone's been there
3: that was me at the ending i also got nachos and they gave me the bag with the with the dip and my friend also, and I was like, let me, I, what I try to do is I crack the chip in half because sometimes they give me the big tortilla chips. I crack it in half within the bag so that maybe it kind of muffles the sound. And then I slowly put it in my, well, I'm not going to finish that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was fucking waiting. I was waiting. I unmuted my microphone just for this fucking moment.
3: Uh, I'm going to step ahead. Um, I slowly eat the chip. And hope that I'm not making too much noise, but I was exa- I had to time it perfectly, especially with the ending.
1: Yeah, I don't get the chips and nachos at movie theaters, but I do get from AMC specifically the mac and cheese bites, and those always hit.
0: Those are good. Yeah, I I did not go to the AMC because the AMC by my house is absolute trash. It is. Probably hasn't been renovated since the 90s. There's not even a Dolby Theater in that AMC. I don't even know if they know what recliner seats are. I went to a Regal, which, you know, is usually not as good as the AMC, but this was definitely a step up from the AMC by my house. I went at like 10 o'clock at night, and it was fine. There was actually a lot more people in there than I anticipated. I guess it is Saturday night, but it is a little late. Uh, But there was a good amount of people. I didn't really have any super bad experiences. There was like a row of people in front of us. Two of the girls had like the neverfuls, and they just started busting out endless snacks out of those things. So there was like multiple bags of chips and like a sandwich and waters and God knows what else. I don't know. Everything they had seemed to make noise though. And (laughs) yeah so that was the only thing was the distraction of just hearing multiple bags of chips being passed around and opened at one time
1: that's amazing that really makes me miss going to see movies with ryan and her always bussing out an assortment of chicken nuggets (laughs) that's the best best movie companion although sean the terrorism of these children did remind me of when we went to go see megan together and then we had those fuckers singing bulletproof
2: yeah yeah. At the end of my showing, though, there was like an older guy and his wife getting up, and you know, again, there's like nobody in our theater, and he loudly enough for everyone to hear, of course, because he's trying to be funny. Is like, watch out, dear! You don't want to get hit by all these people trying to leave the theater. Oh, it's it's crazy in here. I was like, okay, we get it. You're a comedian. Real real good job. It's an empty showing. It's 12 o'clock on a Sunday. Uh, you know, they, okay, it was kind of funny in the moment, you know, but not like I'm not going to laugh. Yeah. Funny. Just kind of like a. Yeah. I see you. I see you trying to be funny at 55. I love it. Amazing. You know, I, I am bummed, though, because I I didn't eat that morning. And so I get to this point and I was like, OK, it's like a two hour movie. Uh, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling the pain. But the only. So I can't eat popcorn. And the only options I had were either a bunch of candy. Mm hmm. Or those nachos and i was like theater nachos horrible decision but i'm really hungry and i ate it and i regretted it it was not a it was not a great choice but man do i wish i could eat popcorn again man dang
1: okay i want to hear everyone's top three theater foods like if you have to get food from the theater and you can't just smuggle your own in i'm
3: going mac and cheese bites hot dog popcorn Mine is hot dog, not, is nachos a part of that or no? Yeah, whatever you would find on the theater menu. Okay, hot dog, popcorn, nachos.
0: Yeah, popcorn for sure. I would, I do, if I'm at AMC for sure, the mac and cheese bites. I think you introduced me to the mac and cheese bites because I don't think I had ever had them before, Chris.
1: Hell yeah, I did.
0: And then every time I go there, it seems like a great choice. So probably popcorn, mac and cheese bites. And for me, I don't know if it counts, but... An icy.
3: Oh. If it counts, I have to redo my stuff.
2: Yeah, the icy just (laughs) hits. It hits. For me, it used to be the largest popcorn I could possibly purchase. And then halfway through the movie, I would want another and then be like, no, I can't do that. That's not a good time. But now I can't have that. Candy wise, though, I feel like, you know, any type of like malt candy, like whoppers, Ooh. that's usually a really good time. I haven't bought candy at the theater in a while, but I feel like other good theater candies are, you know, milk Duds, um, Twizzlers or red vines, depending on which theater you're in and what they have available to them um it's just that they're like ten dollars for a pack of like three and a half you know so it's kind of a ripoff
0: yeah i just smuggle candy in at this point it's just it's crazy although i do feel bad because that's pretty much how they make most of their money so
1: yeah this is why theaters are dying sean no problem
0: i'm slowly killing the theater (laughs) (laughs) smuggling in my candy
1: i'm sorry though i'm (laughs) I'm, I'm realizing though mac you you said whoppers and milk duds like those sound like some old ass candies bro
2: (laughs) yeah those are fantastic candies though i love whoppers I don't know,
1: Milk Duds?
2: Yeah, they're so good.
1: Whoppers, okay, maybe. My mom loves Whoppers. Sometimes I'll have them in the fall, maybe. But it's like, it has a distinct aftertaste that I find a little bit weird. I know this is coming from me, the person who barely even fucking likes candy to begin with. But I feel like if I were to rank candies at a movie theater, Milk Duds wouldn't even be in the conversation.
2: Mm. But they're the perfect like snacking candy. Anything like that, like, I don't know, was it Mike and Ike's, you know, that kind of a thing?
0: What is a Milk dud? It's like caramel coated with chocolate. It's very but see I like the taste of milk duds, but they always get stuck in my teeth. Yeah.
2: Raisinets another good option.
3: Raisinets is my go to. Raisinets,
2: yeah. I haven't had those in a long time. Chocolate.
3: I have bags in my fridge and I just take them and everybody knows I'm a chocolate raisin curly.
0: You have bags of raisinets in your fridge?
3: Yes. Literally. The red like the the red bag and then I have the yellow in the box options, whatever I can fit in my purse, depending on the go. Usually I mix M&Ms with my popcorn and then I can get raisinets on the side. But if I don't want to do an M&M mixed in with the popcorn, I'll just do chocolate raisin.
0: I've never done the mixed popcorn thing, but I've seen people do it and I always want to try it, but I never, I feel like I'm, so my wife, I don't think would do it. And I don't know, I don't know anybody I've watched a movie with that wants to try that out. You know what I mean? Oh
3: man, That's how my mom, that's how I was raised. Mix it in. Although you have to be careful because if the popcorn is too hot, then the M&Ms are going to melt. So usually you just want to kind of like sprinkle them a little bit on the top so you can grab it in the same scoop, you know? Um, The chocolate raisins though, I don't put in, I don't mix it in with my popcorn because that's hella going to melt and nastiness all over. But yeah, that's the, that's the combo.
2: See, let me tell you why whoppers are great though, because you can, you can basically just sit there with a whopper in your mouth. And eventually when you get to the center, cause it's, you know, that it's not like a, I don't know, it's not, it's not a hard center, right? And so you can saturate it with so- saliva while you're eating it and then it just dissolves. And that's beautiful. Nothing like saturated saliva malt balls
1: in practice. I understand that this is what people do. Like you let something dissolve in your mouth, but to sit here and say saturate it with saliva. What the fuck, man? <laughs> like what the fuck?
3: And, and and it's on <laughs> brand, right? But it sounds like something that, um, from the fly, like literally like him explaining how the hell he eats things. That, that fucking gif that I'm haunted by
1: that Binks put in our notion card of him just like acid refluxing all over the fucking, <laughs> all over the shit. Yeah, that is exactly what that is. Saturating with saliva.
3: And the best mm. part is that for like a hot second there, right when you first said Whopper, I definitely thought you meant Berg. Wow. <laughs> And then I really didn't. And then I really had no idea what the hell you were talking. I mean, like, now I obviously know it's a candy. Couldn't even tell you what it looked like. This is a little chocolate ball.
0: Mm hmm. Malt balls. No,
3: obvious. I know that now, but imagine if I thought it was still a Burger King burger. You know what I'm saying? And then he's like saturating it with his saliva.
1: (laughs) Oh, Rob, stop. That's gross. That's disgusting. Listen, okay. I don't know about any of that shit. (laughs) Did m ms were they the ones that had the the tagline, melt in your mouth, not in your hands?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Wow, I haven't heard that since the early 2000s. Yeah. I feel like some rapper put that in one of his songs. Is it (laughs) 50 Cent and Magic Stick? Is that what it was?
0: Yeah, probably. That sounds about right.
3: Yeah, I'm not sure. If you're right, that's absolutely insane that you remember that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that song was played ad nauseum, so...
3: I know, but like but what like what are, what are you listening to 50 cent on on the side or something is that is that like the you know um the fun fact we don't know about that you?
0: song still plays in every club ever
1: i bet you it was candy shop and not magic stick but uh magic stick i always thought would be my walk-up song in softball now that we were allowed to have them but like i definitely played <laughs> it in the dugout myself.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh oh uh, what about snow caps i love i was gonna say snow caps are pretty good
1: Snowcaps are good. Yeah, uh, snowcaps are like if I have to have any kind of candy in a the movie theater, snowcaps are the way to go. I am realizing now it definitely is candy shop, not magic stick. Yeah, Close Ooh, good
2: and plenty. Good and plenty, another great choice, especially if you're a Mike and X fan. You
3: guys, you guys are naming candies that like make you guys seem like you're 90 years old, though. Let's call it for what it is.
2: But they're just good candy.
3: <laughs> I, they, I'm not saying that. Yeah, I'm not saying that they're bad. But like, what is happening, dude? I, I haven't even heard like Twix or like fucking Snickers or something. You know, like the youth.
2: Yeah, because you can have one. You could have one. Sn- you can't have like eight Snickers bars. You'll you'll feel horrible.
0: The thing is, is you got to get candies that are like little pieces that you can eat. No, you don't want a giant candy bar in the movie theater.
3: I'm the one that brought up m ms Skittles, what's happening here?
0: m ms I'm down with. Give me a bag of peanut M&M's and I'm good to go.
1: I'm I'm actually passing on the Skittles.
0: So
2: Skittles and, and things like that. I'm trying to think like Sour Patch Kids. Sour Patch Kids are good. Starburst. You have a couple of those and then like it starts to destroy your tongue with, with all the citric acid and the sugar and everything. And then if you were to have like two packs of one of those types of candies, it's just going to hurt. Like, your teeth are going to hurt. True. And I don't like—I don't really love a lot of chocolate. And so I can handle chocolate-coated things, but, like, eating M&Ms for me gets old after about, like, one bag. Mm. That's And if you're in a theater for two hours, you're going to go through one bag in, like, 45 seconds, and that's just – that's not long enough. I could do Reese's for a little bit.
0: I can, too. I was going to say Reese's is probably my favorite candy of all time. However – I'm not trying to eat a whole bag of Reese's in the theater yeah. because I'm likely going to get sick afterwards.
1: I have an important question that I can't remember if I've asked you all, but I do ask this at work quite frequently. And it has been a topic
0: of discussion. I already know. I already know.
1: Yeah. Were you part of the original conversation? at work? I probably. was part of
0: the original conversation. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Wow. What a fucking moment, John. God, what a throwback for us. I bring this up <laughs> literally every time someone new comes around. First off, uh, Reese's Pieces, I fucking absolutely love. That would be like a secondary to Snow Caps. Mm. And then goobers, also chocolate-covered peanuts, love those. Okay, actually, does does everyone here eat Reese's? 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 Yeah. Yep. like The peanut butter cups? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we all partake? Okay. How do you eat it? What is the method or the style with which you eat it?
2: A cup? Yeah. You put it in your mouth all in one go. Oh, so you're an uh, uh, all-in-one huh? goer.
3: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Okay, that is.
3: Are you tricking us into saying some after dark shit? (laughs) I swear to God, I'm not.
0: No, there's literally like 50 ways to get a Reese's cut.
1: Here's the thing how? There is a support article. That details all the methods by which you can eat a Reese's. The one and done is max method. That's usually how I do it. Or sometimes if I'm feeling a little slow to the slow to the draw, a two bite shuffle, which is just by eating it in two bites. But then there's one that I don't fucking understand how anyone can do. But I someone that I love very dearly does this. You it's called the hanging Chad where you take the peanut butter cup. You put your thumb through the bottom so that all you have is, like, the peanut butter and the chocolate. Uh, Then you eat that, and then you eat the ring. Wait. Then you have another one where it's, like, you are just (laughs) eating the crunchy bits on the side. That's called stripping the gear.
2: Yeah. Does anybody do the one and done, but then... I don't even know how to describe this. So you put you put the whole peanut butter cup in your mouth and then you punch the center out with your tongue. Uh, Is there a name for that? Because...
3: With your tongue?
2: Yeah. You know, you just... With your tongue? Yeah. You just tongue punch the reason. That's it. It's the tongue punch. <laughs>
1: oh. Okay. This one... I, oh, okay. Hold on a second. You bisect it. That's called the lateral split. Uh, sh- okay.
3: someone Someone took the time to name all of these methods... What is what is happening in America?
0: I mean there were there were legitimate Reese's Cup commercials that went over a few of these methods as they advertised the candy.
3: I miss that I miss that entirely.
0: It was in the late 90s early 2000s. <laughs> somewhere in that time Somewhere in that time range,
3: you're and you're gonna look me dead in the eye and tell me that you know someone that puts their thumb dead center in the middle of a fucking Reese's cup to the point where I make him demonstrate it at work. Yes, you had him demis- demonstrate. It? He continues
1: to demonstrate every every few it's, months uh, it comes back but, up and I buy him a Reese's from the vending machine. We split it. <laughs> I do a one. I do a one and done, and he does the hanging Chad. It, why is it called first of all, I'm concerned that it's called a hanging Chad, okay, <laughs> okay, it's called a hanging Chad because you know like the voting like famously the two thousand whatever fucking election, it was all like lost down to a hanging chad. It's like where they used to have to punch the hole, but it's like the hole doesn't get punched all the way, so there's something dangling out, okay, anyway, that's why because you punch <laughs> there's, there's no one. <laughs> There's no good way to do this without seeming really wildly inappropriate with my hands.
3: Uh, Correct. Well.
2: How do you not remember hanging chads? (laughs) You know what? Oh, Lord. The hanging chad.
3: It's the... Oh, my God. The chat right now. Does chad mean mean peen? Quite frankly, that's where I'm at. (laughs) No,
1: it doesn't. I swear to God.
3: (laughs) Hanging chad. Hold on.
1: Uh, Hanging chad... (laughs) are attached to the ballot at only one corner. Swing to the ballot at two. Okay, this seems like a complicated fucking explanation of what a hanging chad is. I can't let it go. I can't let it go.
2: But there's, so there's both, so basically the chad is the piece of a punch card that gets punched, right? And so you can have a hanging chad, a swinging chad, a tri-chad, a pregnant or a dimpled chad.
3: Okay, you you could have stopped before pregnant. I don't like, I don't like any, I don't like any of these variations of chads. First of all, the name alone, Okay, let's start there. Second, swinging. What did, what did you even say? Did you say pregnant chat?
2: Or, or a dimpled chat.
3: What would that even mean? Would it mean that the circle in the recess gets put back, like you punch it out and then you put it back into the freaking cup?
2: We're, we're talking about voting right now. This is where the Chad reference.
3: <laughs> oh, got it. Sorry. <laughs> I missed that part.
2: And you should know all this. You live in Florida, and Florida's the reason we-
3: I know, but you know what?
2: The only reason we know about this is because of Florida.
3: Well, I'm not shocked by that, but I think I'm just a little traumatized and a little shocked by the fact that there's more than one way to eat a freaking circle.
2: <laughs> so wait, how did how did you say you eat it?
3: Me?
0: Yeah, how do you eat a Reese's Cup? Yeah.
3: Well, I mean, I, I guess like twice because I don't want to put a whole ass Reese's cup in my mouth. I don't know. I feel like that's a lot. What it's a lot of chocolate all at once, and I don't know. I don't want to look like I'm gargling a freaking Reese's cup, like a chip or a hot dog. Yeah, you did the two biter. Correct. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> what, you need to? What's the word? Like guzzling a Reese's Pieces cup? Like I don't
1: want that. <laughs> oh, not the Reese's guzzle.
2: You need to up your game. Start tongue punching the Reese's cup. I don't want to tongue punch <laughs> anything. Punch the
3: Reese's cup. I don't want- I don't want a tongue punch a thing. This is gross.
0: Oh, my gosh.
3: How did we get here?
1: (laughs) Well, we started talking about
0: nuns. (laughs) Oh, man.
1: I cannot wait to revisit this conversation when we record our Halloween episode and we talk about Halloween candy.
0: Mm. Yes. Yes.
3: Maybe by then I'll meet someone who does the hanging chat in person and have a lengthy conversation and try to understand them.
0: Yeah, you can you can meet somebody, grab, you know, the classic Reese's pack with Two peanut butter cups and just be like, yo, are you are you more of a hanging chad or a tongue punch the cup kind of guy? <laughs> you know?
3: That's that's gonna be my my pickup line when I meet someone, my future husband. I'm just gonna be like
0: You really get to know somebody with that question, you know?
3: <laughs> that's exactly how I'm gonna approach it. Fuck it. Everything else hasn't worked, why not? You know? <laughs> Give it a shot.
2: Thanks, you'll have guaranteed success.
3: I'll have guaranteed success.
2: I feel like we're gonna have to try
0: to We're going to have to try to demonstrate all of these (laughs) ways of eating a Reese's. That's what it really is going to come down to.
1: That is the 300th episode special. (laughs) Not anything about horror movies. It's the horror of eating a Reese's. (laughs) 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 Oh, no, not Taffy. Let's go back to my place (laughs) and tongue punch some Reese's.
0: (laughs) Absolutely amazing.
1: (sighs) Well, this got out of hand really quick.
0: Can you just... Please put a little pressure here. <laughs> God damn it.
3: Oh, fuck. That's the people that do the hanging Chad. That's what they say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Jesus, Muddy and Joseph.
2: The, the National Treasure vibes were there.
1: I'm sorry. That is such an oddly specific thought to have, but it is accurate.
2: Two people. No. Two
3: people. Three.
1: Three. Three people. Three. What in the fuck? national treasure really that is the one you're pulling out national treasure i mean is like hey i get it but man are you kidding me really I absolutely get it because that is spot on are you what who's just thinking about natural treasure so often that you can so quickly recall it
2: i mean who doesn't i don't know what a lot nick cage I, I feel like a lot of people Nick cage yeah
1: okay i'm gonna fucking do a poll on this later
2: where, yeah, you you could see Captain America like showing up in some of those scenes. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot.
1: Okay, but in this scenario, is Captain America Ed Warren or someone else?
2: First of all, never compare Ed Warren to Captain America because that just, <laughs> I'm offends just saying me deeply as somebody who is not a fan of the Warrens, but
1: – Tomato, tomato. <laughs> I
3: would say,
2: yeah. Captain America has, has America's ass, okay? Ah. We we know that from the movies, so the two cannot be compared. My goodness. Are you
3: saying Patrick Wilson doesn't have America's ass? Because I would he's, say.
2: He's no Chris Evans.
3: That's, I mean, fair, but I would say second ass. <laughs> America doesn't need
0: <laughs> two oh asses. Gosh. We just can, there can only be one. <laughs>
1: yeah, not the, not the America's <laughs> ass cannot. understudy.
2: Number one is Captain America. Number two is Captain America while time traveling. So, yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, we cleared that up.
0: I also listen, I didn't realize this is probably dumb on my part, but I don't know why cuz maybe I never looked at like the actual names of these actors. I didn't realize Sister Irene and Lorraine Warren are sisters in real life.
1: We didn't talk about that in the nun episode? Sh- Sean, I literally said that. Did
0: you? <laughs>
3: yeah. Yes, of course.
0: Oh man, you see what I'm saying? I don't remember this shit. Like you can, we can have conversations, and it's gone like a week (laughs) later. Like it's completely gone. Like I don't remember that at all. But when I saw it, I was like, "Oh shit, they do kind of like look alike a little bit." Wow, how how weird that they're in the same universe together. So,
3: so what happened was that the i think it was like the director at the time or whatever the studio something like that they didn't want to cast her because she was her younger sister but then eventually like she just was the best so they were like fuck it and i mean fast forward obviously this is going to be very convenient
2: all right but i think the only other on-screen death we can talk about is going to be madame lorraine and um you know what a way I'm to go. I'm sorry. Like, mumble
1: that one more fucking time,
2: Madame Laurent. <laughs> uh, Madame yeah. Laurent. Madame Laurent. Yeah, that's. Yeah, Laurent. It's not like you're that, just but, like
1: like just uh, gargling that word. <laughs> sorry, I'm just
2: I'll say it really American. Madame Laurent. <laughs> yes. Yeah. When they when they took out Madame Laurent, um, <laughs> keep it subtle like The Exorcist.
1: There ain't nothing subtle about the fucking exorcist, bro. What?
2: Right? Okay. But did they try to use and exploit all sorts of little details about Catholicism in the Exorcist? No. They they made it simple. Right, right.
1: I think you mean limited in scope because there was that subtle
2: well the i mean the priest's faith did the priest go like on a 15 minute rant about faith in the exorcist i don't i don't think so catch me on the rewind mac i'm gonna, <laughs> I'm
1: gonna take up some fresh notes about how not fucking subtle that movie is <laughs> <laughs>